Hey, travelers. Just stopping by to let you know that this episode that you are about to listen to is one of our older ones, and we were going through some growing pains at this time. But if you would like to start from where we consider our newest era of quality, I would go ahead and jump to episode 54, The American Bigfoot. Either way, enjoy, travelers. All right, hey everyone, welcome back to Infinite Rabbit Hole. Today, I am joined by Jeremy. Wes could not make it. He is in the process of moving, so he may be out for a couple weeks. We're going to wing it on that one. Today, we're going to be doing a deep dive into the Bermuda Triangle. If you don't know what that is, it's an area of water between Florida, Puerto Rico, and Bermuda. It makes a nice big triangle. It's like hundreds of miles across constantly dealing with plane crashes, boat wrecks, those sorts of vehicles disappearing, never to be seen again, or they're moved from one spot to the other. In any case, Jeremy and I are going to do a deep dive on it today to see what all the hype is about, try to pick this thing apart, see what we think about it. Jeremy, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, man. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm thankful for the break that we had, and I'm ready to get cranking on it and getting back into this. Yeah, season two, first episode just dropped today. I'd like to say thank you to everyone who took the time to listen to us in season one. really means a lot to us. I am just ecstatic with how much support that we've had with this podcast, and I hope that we can build off that here in season two. I definitely think that we can. The topics that we have picked out are definitely going to be interesting. For sure. And I'm very excited to be able to bring you guys along on the ride with that. But yeah, the Bermuda Triangle, there's definitely some very strange stuff there. I grew up watching things such as the UFO files and shows like In Search of. And all these shows that I used to watch as a kid, every single one of them seemed to have touched on the Bermuda Triangle at some point. I'd, I'd like to think that anybody that's listening to this podcast has heard of the Bermuda Triangle. And just in case anybody hasn't, Jake did a pretty good job at describing it and basically depending on where you get your sources from the Bermuda Triangle is said to include an area of between 500,000 and 1.5 million miles of or 1.5 million square miles of ocean water in the North Atlantic right off the coast I was of like America. that's a lot of miles <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's a fairly big area and there's a lot of strange things that happen in the Bermuda Triangle. A lot of times this happens to deal with something going missing, whether it be an aircraft, a ship. And a lot of times those aircraft or ship have people on them. Uh, so I, I think that's what we're mostly worried about is the people piloting or crews on these aircrafts and ships going missing. And it happens a lot. And it seems to happen on average more than any other area in the world. When I first brought up the idea of doing a topic on the Bermuda Triangle, I actually brought to Jake and Wes the idea of doing an episode on a ton of different triangles. There's a lot of them out there. Uh, the Bermuda Triangle is by far the most popular one. This is the most famous triangle out there. But other ones exist, such as the Dragon's Triangle, which is the one that kind of mirrors the Bermuda one off the coast of Japan. There's a lot of them that are on land, too, such as the Bridgewater Triangle, which we referred to in the Berkshire UFO incident episode. This triangle, it's mostly to deal with other strange things such as paranormal experiences and UFOs and 
and even some cryptids. We'll get into those triangles sometime later on, but as Jake and Wes kind of pointed out to me, I think that there's a lot that we can do with just the Bermuda Triangle alone, and I think it definitely deserves an episode all to itself. Yeah, going into that, prior to doing this research, I had some idea that there was maybe a dozen or a handful of disappearing or crashed vehicles that have gone through this area. It turns out that since 1945, 75 planes and several hundred ships have vanished or sank in the Bermuda Triangle. And we're really going to do our best today to pick that apart and really just get into all the different facets of what people think, some scientific research in that area, and hopefully come to some sort of a conclusion at the end of this of what exactly is going on, because that is a lot. And that's a big area, as Jeremy was saying, 1.5 million square miles, but that's a lot of broken down and missing vanished vehicles to occur in that spot. Yeah, so I, I wanted to start off with Flight 19. Mm-hmm. But I also just want to make it clear, I mean, Jake and I, we can sit here and we can talk about stories from the Bermuda Triangle until our face turns blue. I mean, there's just too many of them. There's a metric shit ton, if I, if I may. <laughs> I apologize, <laughs> but that's there, there's a lot. Uh, there's a lot here, and they're scattered all over the internet. I mean, if you guys ever want us to do a, an episode where we just spit out a bunch of different stories about the Bermuda Triangle, let us know. We can come back to it, absolutely. Um, but mostly, we're going to try to get out some highlighted stories real quick. And then we're going to dive into what could actually be here, because there is some very interesting stuff that could explain what's going on here. So flight 19, on December 5th, 1945, a training flight using five TBM Avenger torpedo bombers disappeared. The flight was supposed to fly from Fort Lauderdale for a total of 354 miles into the Bermuda Triangle and back. Would you have guessed that they didn't come back? Investigators claim that failure of flight instruments caused the aircraft to be lost forever. While being a part of the search and rescue efforts, a PBM Mariner aircraft with a 13-man crew also disappeared. So not only did the crews of each of these five aircraft disappear, but actually a 13-man search aircraft also disappeared with all of its crew. One of the strangest things about this particular story is that the flight captain... Uh, the person who was actually instructing during this training exercise was documented in his last radio transmission to the tower through his port window. He was looking at islands that resembled those of the Key West Islands. I, I have read multiple different theories about this particular incident, even though the crash site has never been found. And seeing that how a lot of times flight instruments and compasses, as they would have flown off of back then in 1945, a lot of those were just magnetic compasses. Compasses were known to go bad or to act very strangely in the Bermuda Triangle. Sometimes they spin around in circles continuously. Sometimes when they're supposed to be pointing north, they're actually pointing south. And sometimes they're pointing at true north instead of magnetic north. 
it's a plethora of different experiences that a lot of people have had with the compasses. One of the theories out there is that during that original 140 mile stretch out into the Bermuda Triangle before they started doing their descent back, their flight controls actually caused them to fly over Key West instead of out towards Bermuda as they were supposed to be flying. So they went south instead of east. Yeah. So that, that's one of the theories is that they could have. So even that whole entire search party that was out there looking for them could have been looking in the complete wrong area. That is honestly one of the most interesting things. And I like to include that because that was a Navy story. And, you know, this is a podcast where everyone has had a tie to the United States Navy at some point in their lives or still do, such as Jake and I. So I really wanted to include that. Another thing, too, is that there's tons of older stories. We're talking about 400 or so missing planes and ships in that area in the time frame between 1945 and now. Through my research, I found out that there's actually quite a few that are very recent. A couple of examples of that is 2005 and 2007. Both incidents involved a plane. They were Piper PAs, small passenger propeller planes. Both of them went missing in the Bermuda Triangle. Neither of them have ever been found. The very most recent one was in 2015, where a ship called the El Faro was traveling from Florida to Puerto Rico, and it disappeared on October 1st, 2015, and it was discovered later on October 31st at the bottom of the ocean floor. So these things aren't just old stories. They aren't just back when compasses sucked and uh, navigation sucked. This is now. This is recent. So. We have some things we've looked up where we have the possibilities of things that could have occurred, and hopefully some of these will will shed some light on what's really going on in the Bermuda Triangle. Well, that is one thing that a lot of these stories are old, but as, as you were saying with some of the newer stuff, just kind of give everybody a little bit of a, a peek into Jake and I's profession here real quick. Jake and I both now... We're on different sides of the coin, but we're both avionics technicians, basically, and on United States Naval Aircraft. Uh, Jake is is an avionics tech, and he deals with computers and radios and all kinds of gadgets that tell you readings inside of the aircraft for flights and anything, anything computer-based, basically. If it's got a chip in it, he takes care of it. I take care of the electrical systems, power generation, uh, power distribution batteries, lights, that kind of stuff. But we work together with a lot of this stuff. And our previous command, instead of being ATs and AEs, which is Jake's an AT and I'm an AE, uh, we were just AVI. You know, we worked together. So anything that Jake would normally work on, I would also work on too. Anything that I would normally work on, Jake would also work on too. And while I was doing a lot of these research, I was noticing terms such as like the barometric altimeters going crazy. Mm-hmm where, you know, they, they were flying, you know, fairly low, 1,000, 2,000 feet, but the barometer was saying that they were 20 feet above above uh, sea level. Yeah, it's not supposed to happen. Yeah, so, and, and for anybody that doesn't understand or doesn't know what a barometer is or what a barometric altimeter is, 
basically it's letting the pilot and the aircraft know exactly the distance above sea level that they're at, whether it's over land or over sea, and it'll just tell you where you are compared to sea level. So if you're flying over the sea, when you look down, you see the water below you, your barometric altimeter will tell you exactly how far up you are from the water. Mm-hmm. Well, if you're flying at 2,000 feet or whatever, and your your barometer is telling you that you're flying at 20 feet or negative 320, that, that one of them was saying, <laughs> there's a problem and your instruments aren't working correctly. So... And those are very important. I know a lot of people might be thinking, well, what's what's the use of them if you could just look out the window and see how high you are above the water? Well, once you get past the land where the <laughs> water is green and you get into where the ocean actually is, the sky is blue and the water is blue. Unless you can see the waves, sometimes pilots get vertigo. They don't know exactly which way is up and which way is down. So your reliance on your instruments is so much more important. Yeah. And there have been reports of pilots that have wrecked their aircraft because they thought they were going up when they were actually going down because they got vertigo. And either they couldn't rely on their instruments because they were broken or they were so confused that they didn't believe their instruments were telling them the truth. If there's an electromagnetic issue that's causing these instruments to malfunction like that, that is a serious problem. Yeah. And I, I mean, I can tell you that, you know, working on naval aircraft, that these instruments are tested all the time. I mean, if one of these things go bad, that aircraft's down. Let's say you're flying in fog or you're flying in cloud right. cover or a rainy day or whatnot, and you can't see the water. You still need to know where you're at. There's a particular instrument that shows you the horizon. And basically, it looks like a a bubble, and you see this flat line, and above the flat line, it's brown, and below the flat line, it's blue, or vice versa. Right. It shows you where the ground level is and what your orientation is, what your level is. Yeah, so anything inside of an aircraft cockpit is basically made so that you can fly without seeing out the window. And these instruments are there for a particular reason. Okay, they're they're there so that if someone does fall victim to vertigo or can't see due to cloud cover, fog cover, or anything like that, the weather is getting bad. They can trust their instruments, and the the real issue falls in when the pilots don't trust their instruments, and that's how aircraft go down. But if your instruments are actually misbehaving, and you're trusting your instruments and not trusting your eyes, then it's bad. But because you are trained. To trust your instruments. So real quick, before we move on with this, I have a one other story that I would like to get to really quick. It's from before 1945, but I think this is very interesting because it sort of ties into how instruments can go bad. Hey, real quick. Sorry to everyone about the dog that's barking at my neighbor's house. I don't know if you can hear it. But if you can, I'm going to do my best to edit it out. Unfortunately, the people next to me will just let their dogs out for 12 hours a day, and they'll just bark and bark and bark nonstop. So do my best to take care of that. But, you know, sometimes you just got to be courteous to bite the bullet. Yeah, I agree. And it gets louder. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes you just got to do what you got to do. It's all right, man. 
so this the story I was alluding to is pretty interesting. It has to deal with the case of the USS Cyclops. In 1918, the USS Cyclops went missing, resulting in the single largest loss of life in U.S. maritime history, not during wartime. Basically, what happened was 309 people lost their lives as the crew of that ship because the ship went missing and was never seen again. The Cyclops was transporting a large amount of raw metallic ore from the Barbados to the United States. Soon after in World War II, the Proteus and Neros, which are sister ships to the Cyclops, met the same demise, also carrying large amounts of raw metallic ore. A popular theory about this incident involves a magnetic anomaly causing the ships to sink. How, may you ask? Due to the large amounts of raw metal on the ships, a change in the magnetic environment may have caused the ships to instantly be too heavy to safely make a trip across the Bermuda Triangle. So let's say that there is a magnetic anomaly out there, something that's changing the magnetic environment. Magnets have different strengths. You know, some of them are stronger, some of them are weaker, dealing with their their flux lines and such. I mean, we're not going to get too crazy about that. But basically, if you have a piece of metal, right, and you have a magnet, and you hold that metal above the magnet, you could feel it pulling down. Mm-hmm. Let's say that there's some sort of large magnetic anomaly under the water or multiple ones under the water in the Bermuda Triangle, which is actually very shallow more shallow than you would think it would be, especially when you get out towards the islands. Some of the areas around there are very, very shallow. Mm-hmm. And let's say that a large ship in 1918, this is over 100 years ago, was carrying a large amount of raw metallic ore, and they float over one of these anomalies. What do you think, what do you think would happen? <laughs> the ship could go down. It's very possible. Yeah. But would it be strong enough to counteract the ship's natural buoyancy? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe. Who knows? I mean, what else could really do a lot of damage to flight instruments? I mean, honestly, other than magnets. Maybe pressures, you know, air pressures and stuff like that when you're dealing with flight controls or uh, automatic flight control systems and, and such, you know, ram air and all that fun stuff that we learn about in A school and everything. But magnets would be a big thing it would cause a lot of instruments to go bad it's very true Hmm. anyways that's all i have about magnets have you ever heard of the hutchinson effect not off the top of my head no okay so there's this scientist his name is john hutchinson back in 1979 he was trying to prove that electromagnetic fields when colliding together can cause all kinds of strange stuff to happen. Mm. So he believed that metal would suddenly fracture and it would cause dissimilar materials like metal and wood to fuse together. So he was doing all kinds of different experiments to see what electromagnetic fields would have on things like flight instruments and Mm. on just metallic materials in general. Part of it was that he believed he could get large, heavy metallic objects to levitate somewhat because of magnetic fields. Now, the problem with that 
is that although he video recorded a lot of experiments, it really appeared to be more like a magic trick than actually science. Mm -hmm. And it was more so further understood when he really couldn't replicate any of his experiments outside of the lab because he had an audience with the U.S. Army because they were very curious about what he was talking about. And then even more terrible for him was he went on TV to do an interview and he had a toy UFO that he had bouncing around and he was showing how the electromagnetic field could get it to levitate and you could see a string in the top right corner of the screen and people started talking about it and at first he was denying it and then eventually he admitted that he really couldn't replicate anything outside of his lab so he became just a eccentric crackpot not really a scientist at all Mm -hmm. now i can't say that all of his experiments were completely fake but the fact that he couldn't replicate anything kind of leads in that direction but I mean, we know that electromagnetic fields and giant magnets and things can just mess up all kinds of stuff. But I don't really know how much research has gone into it to really see what the full scope is as far as its devastating effects. So maybe some of those ships did have issues like that. There was electromagnetic field for the aircraft, and it spun up all of their systems. Or maybe... There was a giant magnet pulling the ships down. It's really hard to say. Hmm. I have a lot of other theories to go over. This is just one of them, but I think it's a very interesting theory. And let's be honest, the Bermuda Triangle and any other aquatic or maritime accident is probably a mixture of a lot of different things. Is it going to answer everything? No, but I, I think this could be something that answers the story of the Cyclops. Let's say you you try to fill up your ship with as much metallic ore as possible. You take the max load that you think that you're going to be able to carry, and you're just floating along, floating along. Come across something that has a that changes the magnetic environment or the flux lines, and boom, ships at the bottom of the ocean. I mean, it, it might not take much. Who knows? The truth of the matter is, man, is you. We, we don't really know too much about what's at the bottom of the ocean in a lot of the areas of the world. We know more about our solar system than we do the, the oceans that we share on this planet. So one thing that is really interesting about the Bahama area is they have these things called blue holes. Now, a blue hole is it's like a shelf where it's all sand, right? The sand or the the beach leads up to the water and it's a shelf that continues out. And then all over the place in the Bahamas, there's these areas that are just punched out, almost perfect circles. And they're called blue holes where they just go down for hundreds of feet. Divers often like to explore the blue holes. They say that there's a cool vortex effect that happens when a current runs over the top of these blue holes. They'll make a whirlpool type effect and Underneath the water, these divers say it looks almost like an underwater waterfall. So it's very cool to look at. There's a lot of sea life in there. People go lobstering inside these blue holes, all these sorts of things. But around Andros Island, there is folklore of a giant octopus creature called (laughs) the Luska. 
and I might be mispronouncing that. I'll do better next time. But it lives in the blue holes, and apparently it preys on the ships. Now, the Luska, according to legend, can be over 200 feet long. Now, I will say that, believe it or not, giant octopi have been found in that area, Mm. though nowhere near that size. Yeah. So unless one is discovered, which I don't know, who knows? There's a lot of blue holes, and you can't look at all of them at once, or at least they haven't been so far. Can't rule that out exclusively. I mean, we do know about giant squid, though they... I don't believe they are that long either. Mm -hmm. But that is a legend around Andros Island that these ships and these airplanes are mysteriously disappearing because the giant octopus Luska is coming up out of the water and snatching them up and dragging them to their watery graves. I'm happy we fit a cryptid in there. That's really cool. (laughs) I was surprised to find it, and I was very excited. I was like, yes! got it got um, one you know i i don't know much about the story of the kraken i wonder if that uh has to do with the origins of the kraken at all well you got to figure it's a whole caribbean area correct so mm-hmm. a lot of ships going back and forth krakens and giant sea creatures destroying ships i'm sure that there's a crossover in the legends in there all over the place gotta be right this was the only one that I actually saw, but that's not to say that there isn't tons of it. I don't know. It makes me think maybe, well, that many stories, so many legends, maybe there's something to it. Maybe. Maybe there is. Who knows? I don't know. Giant squids, uh, honestly, before they were discovered just shortly, that was something I, I thought that could have possibly have existed um, that wasn't really on my radar. I know that the Ocean has a lot of mysteries, and could there be a giant octopus big enough to take a ship down? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe a boat. You know, I could see an octopus maybe getting big enough to do that. I know that they're extremely smart, too, so if they wanted to just grab a boat and they were big enough to do it, what's stopping them? Nothing really. Especially this one, because this one's described as half shark and half octopus and sometimes <laughs> sometimes it's a half octopus and half beautiful woman with really long hair that tangles around the ships so if it's big enough yeah and a certain amount of time at sea may make your mind do some crazy things <laughs> steer to the starboard where that beautiful lady is <laughs> <laughs> beautiful giant lady with her long flowing hair out in the water yeah you know that that monstrous sized rock over there with the face on it let's go towards that <laughs> uh but i'm happy you brought up the blue holes uh actually i was unaware of that that's actually pretty cool but I am fully aware that a lot of the theories to deal with the Bermuda Triangle, and I, probably one of the more popular theories, especially the one in pop culture, is the idea of vortex. And if anybody is unfamiliar with a vortex, it's basically a plot of water that is spinning around in a rapid circle and basically looks like an inverted tornado of water. And the, the ships in pop culture and multiple different cartoons and even movies i mean i'm pretty sure there's movie i can't think of any right now i'm sure there's one out there where the ship just 
goes around circles and circles and circles until it gets down to the bottom of the vortex and disappears into the mysterious underbelly of the ocean. <laughs> in the uh, cartoon version of Hercules, he went into a spirit vortex. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will look it up, and if it's not, I will delete all of this. <laughs> I'll delete this whole dang episode. But that that's actually pretty interesting, the, the blue holes. I, I like that. I could see how that could be, you know, I wonder if those waterfall things that are being talked about are uh, miniature vortexes. If nothing else, it would certainly help to bring the ships down quicker. I'm not yeah. certain they could bring them down entirely, but once they're wrecked, drag them down would make sense to me. Another thing I wanted to bring up is the Gulf Stream. But before that, why don't we take a real quick break? And we're back. And we're back. And we're back. You familiar with the Gulf Stream at all? Somewhat. Why don't you bring me up to speed on it? Basically, what the Gulf Stream is, it's a river inside the ocean. And it basically takes the warm water from the Gulf of Mexico, and it flows through the Straits of Florida and out to the North Atlantic. And it helps with a lot of weather systems travel mm -hmm. it's easy to get onto and kind of expedite your travel a little bit because the water moves quite quick through the gulf stream think of something like this now a lot of the times when you hear about something going missing in the bermuda triangle let's say a ship sank or a plane sank they go back to that location where the ship or the plane was supposed to be sent out their last sos right and it's nowhere to be found well the Gulf Stream could definitely be a reason for that. Now, let's say, we'll talk about a ship first, right? The ship comes down, it starts sinking to the bottom of the ocean, and the Gulf Stream pushes it. I mean, it could push it for miles before it actually lands on the ground. Now, let's talk about an aircraft. You know, if the aircraft makes a collision with the ground or even makes a very gentle collision with the water. Those are supposed to float on the streams of air inside the sky <laughs> right it could go for hundreds or thousands of miles that is literally what i'm saying is is let's say that a plane landed going the same direction as the gulf stream <laughs> dude there's no way you're finding that thing that thing's gone 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 <laughs> that's i mean that i i was reading a story about a plane that they thought had gone missing in, in the Bermuda Triangle that was found up by Greenland. <laughs> I mean, gone, man. Gone, gone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's the thing I'm thinking of where water goes through a choke point and it accelerates in speed? You're talking about the Bernoulli's principle. That's right. <laughs> now that you're mentioning all that, yep. I'm looking at the area between florida and puerto rico yep all of these <laughs> bahama islands sitting right there that whole area looks like just a bunch of little choke points where the water could be going through that area in the same way you would see a bunch of big rocks in a river and just shooting things out yep it makes a lot of sense to me yeah so for anybody that's not familiar with bernoulli's principle basically we learn bernoulli's principle as a way to explain the physics of flight. In a nutshell, Bernoulli's principle is the inverse relationship between speed and pressure. 
So let's say you take a garden hose and you pinch the holes a little bit, right? The pressure of the water that, that comes out the other end is stronger. Mm-hmm. It's basically the same concept that Jake is talking about here with the Straits of Florida and how the Gulf Stream shoots through this pinch point. You know, it doesn't look like a pinch point to us. It looks like miles wide, you know, hundreds of miles wide, whatever it is. Right. But the reality of it is, is it's coming from a large, large area, getting bottlenecked and then being shot out like a rocket. And you're right, man. That's the speed of that Gulf Stream could be extremely strong in the Bermuda Triangle. And that could really have a lot of play in things going missing. I'm looking at it on the map right now. That Gulf of Mexico, tip of Florida right there, and then the Bahamas right underneath in Puerto Rico. I'm looking at this choke point that's just, oh, it would be perfect. Yep. (laughs) Gosh, I hadn't even thought about that. Like a rocket. (laughs) All the way up in Greenland, huh? Yeah. Yeah, they were... uh... It wasn't even in the the Bermuda Triangle, as per se, but this particular incident took place about 100 miles north of Bermuda, well outside of what the quote-unquote Bermuda Triangle would be. But this aircraft had supposedly had gone down, and they thought that it was not too far from Bermuda. But And this was a very, very long time ago, by the way. team recently, about 25, 30 years ago, found the aircraft, and they were able to match basically what's what correlates the Buno number. I don't know if that's a right the tail number yeah the tail number thank you and they were able to reasonably say this is the plane that was lost. Yeah. That's nuts. That's crazy, isn't it? It was uh I don't know exactly it wasn't like at Greenland. It was a little sh- like it was shy of Greenland, but that I mean that's in the area that it was in. It was just crazy. So I did some research into another possibility of why things go down, but it certainly doesn't cover everything. And there is a lot of mystery, not just cryptids surrounding and legends surrounding this area. I mean, so there is an area by the Bimini Island, right? There's a rock formation. And people think that it, or thought for quite some time that it could have been the entrance to Atlantis. The, yeah, the foundation yeah. of Atlantis or the top <laughs> of the building, right? Yeah. They call it Bimini Road. And the way mm-hmm. the rocks were stacked, it either looked like it was the top of a structure or you know, they were just a bunch of rocks that were really round and they're just stacked right along, right next to each other in the same way you'd see people stacking bricks for a road. But they're huge. They're giant yeah. rocks, giant, giant boulders. It looks like a road. It looks like a path. It looks like a path. Now, the problem with it is that so scientists went down there to analyze it, and they not only didn't find any sort of masonry in the area, but also the idea that that's the top of a structure and that the sand has covered up the rest of it over thousands of years directly underneath the sand is solid bedrock. So it really, with the exception of those stones, there's really not much to go by there. Now that it's littered with ships and treasure hunters often go down there and they'll find, you know, shipwrecks and they'll find treasure inside of them. And a lot of people really risk life and limb in order to get to the treasure because for them, that's super important, whether for discovery or just to make it rich. And I'm sure there's 
there's a tremendous amount of ships down there that really haven't been looked into that could hold a lot of treasure. I mean, there's reports of one person that he believes he found a USO that was down there, a mm. unidentified submerged object, yep. completely covered in coral and marine life, but it didn't look like any sort of ship that had been seen before. And I can't say that there was any sort of groundbreaking research that happened with that because I wasn't able to find any further discovery or research past that of just this gentleman found a USO and that's that. So it was very strange. Now, that's not to say that it isn't going on or that they weren't recovered and it's just you know something that we're not being told. I mean, here we are seeing clear videos of UFOs or UAPs and who knows how long ago that was. So who knows? Maybe they were recovered, pulled up, and they're being researched. There was three of them that were found, and they looked way different than any other type of man-made submarine or ship or aircraft. There wasn't much to go based off of them, but they were round, and they had what looked like pipes extending out of them from the top and bottom, and there was three identical things down there. But there's a lot of mystery around this thing, man. There's a, a crazy amount of why is this happening and how many ships are lost and maybe there's some sort of historical significance, Atlantis or some other destroyed culture. The thing that brought people to the idea that Atlantis could be down there is that people believe that Atlantis or the Atlanteans had some sort of technology that was way, way, way beyond what we have now. And that if there are electromagnetic fields being generated in that area, that they're being caused by the Atlantean technology that's buried underneath the sand down there. But so far, no discovery has been made, as far as I'm aware, of any sort of structures that have been long blown apart that are down there i i don't have much to say i mean we could do a deep dive into atlantis one time and you know if anybody's listening to this and wants to hear that let us know I mean, this sounds like the, the beginning of a, of a whole episode <laughs> look i watch a lot of ah geez i just forgot the show the host is josh gates destination unknown or destination yeah and i think that they found atlantis totally like straight up <laughs> one of the episodes and it was nowhere near this but (laughs) it was more towards greece but totally i'm pretty sure that they they found something that certainly looks like it could be no i mean it's it's pretty mysterious and i've i can't remember the guy's name for the life of me but there was another gentleman that was flying from puerto rico to florida and the trip is supposed to be about an hour and a half long And apparently he got sucked into some sort of a vortex with just, he said there was flashing white light all around him Mm -hmm. and the cloud became a big cylinder. Yeah. But he says it wasn't lightning. It was just flashing white light and it was Mm -hmm. super bright. He made it all the way through. His GPS said when he came out of the cloud that he was right above Miami and he was like, there's no way I'm above Miami because I've only been flying according to my clock for 47 minutes, not an hour and a half. And sure enough, once the clouds break, he sees that he is, in fact, just above Miami. And that was his destination. And he had people look at it and 
the fuel consumption that he had proved that he had not been flying for the total amount of time. And when I think about that sort of stuff, I'm starting to think maybe there's a lot of wind activity that's in there. I mean, what kind of a, a tailwind would you have to have to just launch you like a rocket through that area like that, you know? Well, I don't have any, any explanations for that, but the, what is strange is that that's not the only case of that. There's a lot of cases where people claim to have gone through some sort of cloud and light portal where they ended up somewhere within the Bermuda Triangle in an exaggerated amount of time. One thing that you do have to remember is that that area, the Bermuda Triangle, think of all the hurricanes that come through the area and hit, hit the eastern seaboard or the Gulf of Mexico or even Mexico. Sure. Uh, a lot of them at some point touch some part of the Bermuda Triangle, if not right outside the Bermuda Triangle. It's an extremely popular area for weather to come through. And I, I don't know what other kind of weather systems. I know that hurricanes and tropical storms and tropical depressions start by forming off the coast of Africa. And they come up through the Atlantic Ocean and they, they kind of hightail it through the Caribbean and shoot up and hit multiple different locations along the eastern seaboard, the Gulf of Mexico, and so on. So there is a natural path for, for weather in that area. So, you know, mixed with that, maybe the Gulf Stream has, has something to do with some of the, the weather patterns too. Is, is it improbable? Yeah, <laughs> I'd say. Making it from uh, Puerto Rico, even the northern tip of Puerto Rico to Miami in 45 minutes is not realistic, uh, no matter what kind of winds you're riding. That's pretty impressive, you know, especially when you get into the fuel consumption, as you were talking about. Yeah, it was a very interesting story. As far as head scratchers go, a lot of the stories I found, though, were really vague. There wasn't a lot of them where it was a tremendous amount of detail involved. It was this person was going from here to here on a boat, and then they experienced this, and then this is what happened. And it's like, oh, the article forgot to mention their name. And so, mm -hmm. I mean, interesting stories, but I don't know. Can I put much weight into it if they're just going to forget to name the guy? Yeah. Strange. So, I know that you have this big conclusion that you want to get to. but Dude, it's so big. I'm going to blow the lid off this thing. <clears throat> Good. I hope you do. I have a very strange one that's... Really cool, actually. Not so cool if it ends up killing somebody. <laughs> but I think I think it's pretty neat, actually. The, right. the, the physics and everything is there. So spit it out. Let's hear it. So before I get into that, just remember that the Bermuda Triangle is among one of the most highly traveled nautical areas in the world. Okay, so the sheer fact that we're dealing with a large number of accidents and sinkings and people going missing isn't outside the realm of possibility high volume of traffic you're going to have a high volume of of missing things but even with the amount of people or ships or aircraft that are flying through there the numbers are still just too large there is some weird stuff but craft used for everything from shipping of goods to leisure to military uh, exercises used these waters every day multiple times a day so this is well traveled now, I want to talk to you a little bit about 
methane hydrates. Have you heard of this? No. Okay. You know how the plate tectonics and everything work, right? Mm -hmm. So along the continental shelves, it is believed that there may be buildup of methane gas trapped below the surface of the earth. These pockets of methane have been known to erupt similar to a volcano would and may release gigantic bubbles to the surface of the water. Hmm. Imagine a bubble larger than a ship coming up from underneath and contacting the surface immediately under a ship. That ship would drop many feet or stories into the emptiness of the bubble, causing catastrophic damage, most likely resulting in sinking of the ship. That's a good one. Isn't that crazy? So, wait, this isn't just a theory. This is something that could be explainable? Yes. Yes, this is something. Oh, man. So, they, they actually do have evidence of this happening. Mm -hmm. But you got to think, man, like these bubbles have to be snipers <laughs> to, to, <laughs> to be able to pull a ship down, you know, but yeah. Hold, hold, release. <laughs> I mean, just, just think of it, right? I mean, I don't, I don't know the density of methane or anything like that, but a bubble of methane that, I mean, you're dealing with plate tectonics. So these things could be states, it's the size of fucking states and they come up and they come up to the surface right underneath a ship and they burst and that ship just falls down. Who knows? Maybe even a half a mile, <laughs> you know? Oh, the waves come in off over the top of it and it just capsizes, boom, done. Gone, just gone. Another thing that I was thinking about too is what if this were to happen with an aircraft flying over it? You have these bubbles that burst in the water and shoot up a big old cloud of methane. And all of a sudden you get turbulence, you know, maybe you're, I don't know if it's more dense or less dense than the air that, it, that we're mm -hmm. used to, but if it's less dense, you, the, that aircraft is going to take a huge, just fall straight down until it catches the proper density of air mass. Or if it's more dense, it's going to shoot the aircraft up. You know, that topic right there is not far off from the conclusion that i reached have you ever heard of air bombs no okay let's do it all right dude so the university of colorado sent out a team of researchers to study the triangle and see if they could determine the cause of all the disappearances right yep so when they were looking into the satellite weather images they found that there were these like hexagonal holes in the clouds. And I mean big holes. One of the holes was over 50 miles across. Like a big giant hexagon in the clouds. And clouds don't usually form straight edges, but these ones did. Hmm. And so what they concluded, the meteorologists that were examining this, was that it created these air bombs. Winds exceeding over 170 miles an hour that are just shooting into the water. And as it hits the water from this like funnel effect, it's causing these massive waves to come up that are over 45 feet tall, destroying whatever plane is flying past them or underneath them or near them. And whatever ship is in that area, just being capsized by a massive rogue wave. Jeez. Like there's very little planes and ships 
on earth besides the really, really big ones that would be able to go through a sudden, just tremendous amount of force caused by these, these winds to just blast them all at once, knocking them out of the sky, little boats, or even like a ship as big as the Alfaro, which was a container ship getting slammed by a wave that's over 45 feet tall out of nowhere could easily just take a ship out. So when you're talking about this methane bubble just shooting up out of the thing, maybe it's just aiding with punching a hole in the clouds (laughs) and somehow that's just sucking the wind back in. It's creating the slinky effect that just blows everything apart within a 50 mile radius of whatever the pinpoint of the phenomenon, right? Right. What goes up must come down. (laughs) It's true. And I want to say that though both of those things, it could be the cause of majority of the loss of life claimed by the devil's triangle right here. Yeah. We pretty much reached the same conclusion. Yeah, we just... But on two different sides. Like, that's nuts. (laughs) Well, the... Ah man, the thing the thing you gotta look up those pictures of the hexagonal clouds. I'm looking at them now. They are crazy. They're huge. I'm literally looking them up as you're talking. And that is nuts, dude. I'm I'm looking at one in particular that's really weird. I'll have to send that one to you. It's but yeah, man, these hexagonal clouds definitely strange. Could you imagine being in a ship and getting sharpshooted by a methane bubble? dropping like a half mile onto solid water underneath or even still that amount of air too just i mean it wouldn't be aerating the water it'd be methanizing the water i don't know what the the word is for that i don't know you you gotta think right when the bubble comes up it forms like this mound you know like the like you're i don't think it'd be it'd be holding them up like a like a speck of debris on a bubble yeah and then and then the (laughs) bubble gives out and you probably hear this loud sound right pop Pop. and then all of a sudden you just drop for forever on board a sea vessel (laughs) i mean geez man i i personally i I don't think that that could happen that would have to be a very impressive uh bubble to be able to capture a ship but that is just a strange theory i came across man i was like wow well, it wouldn't have to be, it wouldn't have to lift it up out of the water at all. It would oh, just right. have to be underneath it. And as it touched it, it blows up and that's just open space now. Mm-hmm. Ship falls into that cavity. And just gone forever. Even if the water is just, you know, rushing in, it still has to fall a certain way before the water gets and fills yeah. in that void. So it could be in there and then the water hitting together could aerate it enough to where the ship just sinks. It's like if you've ever been in a swimming pool and someone does a cannonball right next to you, yes, you start sinking, right? Mm-hmm. Because the water becomes more air than it is water. It's mm-hmm. super aerated. If that were to happen from both sides of the water clapping together, those ships could just capsize like that. Done. Mm. And then you're, what you're talking about, the Gulf Stream just taking them out, gone. I think we blew the lid right off this thing, man. I think we I, solved the case. I, I think we're we scientists did. now. <laughs> we're Using someone else's research, we figured it out. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Could you imagine being sucked in by an earth fart? (laughs) (laughs) That's what it is. It's a giant earth fart. It's a giant earth fart. 
the tectonic plates are just two big butt cheeks just rubbing together. <laughs> Let's it out. Ship's gone. <laughs> all right, everyone. That's really all that we have for you guys. We really hope that you enjoyed this episode. I know we didn't cover all the bases, but if you get any ideas, if you've seen something that we haven't seen, please throw it in the chat and our Facebook, facebook.com forward slash infinite rabbit hole. Shoot us an email, infinite rabbit hole at gmail.com. See you in the next rabbit hole. Cut. What do you think? I think it's good. Yeah. How would you do it? Um, <laughs> Not like that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for joining us on this episode. If you'd like to comment on this episode, you can do so on facebook.com forward slash infinite rabbit hole. If you have a story to share with us or would like to be interviewed, you can contact us at infiniterabbithole at gmail.com. Thank you again and have a great day. If someone does fall victim to vertigo, vertical, vertigo, vertical horizon. If someone does, so there's this area near the wow, Bimini, Bimini. I forget. Bimini, Bimini. How do how they say it? Bimini, Bimini, Bimini Island. What are you trying to say? Bimini. <laughs> B-I-M-I-N-I. Bimini. Sure. Yeah. Sounds right to me. <sighs> That's not how they pronounce it. Hold on a second. Bimini. Bimini. They, thank you. Bimini. Well, that's all we got for you guys today. Did you listen to that gag reel? Yeah. Yeah. How would you do it? How would I do it? I, I played that for Katie. She's like, he's such an ass. <laughs> so Who? You. What did I do? <laughs> he did the thing. <laughs> oh, the outro. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dude, how would I do it right here? Well, All go right, ahead. Cool. You want me, you want you, me to ring it? You've, or you've orchestrated this entire episode. Go for it. Dude, I took... I took your place on this episode. I'm a one-man show now. I don't need yeah. any of you. You don't need me at all. <laughs> I'll just be sitting here talking to myself, talking to yeah. the wall. Self, this is what I think. <laughs>